0: You're listening to Marist Connections, a podcast produced by the Marist Alumni Office, which highlights members of the Marist family, which includes our alumni, students, faculty, staff, coaches, and many more. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy Woods, Executive Director of Alumni Relations at Marist from the class of 1997. For the third season of Marist Connections, we're bringing you stories of alumni who are making an impact. Today, I'd like to welcome Marist alumnae, Helen Stalin Corvaline and April Wennerstrom. Hello ladies. Thank you, hello. Nice to see you, thanks for having us. You too, although those listening aren't seeing us. So it's great to hear from you both of you. It's and great to hear from you too. Very important to both of our guests today. April is the director of Keep America Beautiful, a nonprofit striving to end littering, improve recycling and beautify America's communities. It is the nation's leading community improvement nonprofit organization. As director, April plans and implements an annual national conference, oversees their associate and intern programs and provides programming and training initiatives to over 600 affiliates. April graduated from Marist in 1993 with a bachelor's in communication. Helen is currently the STEM coordinator at Hopewell Elementary School in New Jersey and Director of Gardens and Vertical Farming K-5. Through this, her students have access to hydroponic farm that supports science innovation and an organic lunch menu promoting plant-based healthy eating. Helen has also participated in two Earth Expeditions sponsored by Miami University as part of her master's in teaching conservation biology. She spent the summer of 2018 in Baja, Mexico, studying desert and marine landscapes, and the summer of 2019 in Borneo, engaging communities in primate conservation. Helen graduated from Marist in 2000 with a bachelor's in environmental science and was a member of the Marist Band. Welcome both of you.
1: Thank you, so nice to be
0: here. Appreciate it very much, thanks so much. So before we jump into the amazing work you're doing, um, I wanted to ask you about the current situation. How are you doing during this pandemic Um, personally? And then of course, um, April, I wanted to ask you, how has Keep America Beautiful been able to adapt without the live events and the training? These are interesting times, Amy. And
1: um, they've been, you know, a a challenge in the beginning when everyone was home and um, mind shifting into, not only were we working from home, but we're in the middle of a pandemic and my organization did an amazing job in ensuring the safety of all of our employees and we're a pretty small staff at the national office. Um, but made some accommodations to some of our programs, including our training opportunities. Luckily, we had our live in person 400 person. National conference, certainly just 3 weeks before. Um, we closed our borders and uh, you know declared a pandemic in this country. So we were very lucky that we had all of our affiliates um, from th- throughout the country um, visiting with us in Memphis, Tennessee. So we quickly shifted into support mode for our affiliates who are doing their work in their communities and provided um, an online bi-weekly. Is it bi-weekly when it's every other week or semi-weekly? I can't remember that too, but. Um, We provided a training opportunity online every other week, um, and were able to conduct um, 11 webinars over the period of time until the beginning of September to help to support our work um, in the field. And we also put one of our programs on hold, a great American cleanup program, as you alluded to our community improvement opportunities. We put it on hold to secure the safety of the volunteers who are participating, particularly with the support of our affiliate network. So we put that on hold for um, the time being and closing the program in a couple of weeks. But our affiliates did a phenomenal job in shifting even their work to virtual, to doing virtual cleanups and um, webinar series of their own uh, contests on Facebook. So we quickly, once we got over the, oh, my gosh, this is really what we're dealing with. It was back to action mode. In terms of supporting our network so it's it's been a you know it's been a decent ride despite the circumstances
0: sounds like you all adapted pretty well and pretty quickly though so helen what about on your side um are your students back in the classroom
2: so you know what amy they sure are and i i have to kind of echo some of april's sentiments as well because um, you know, when, when everything shut down in March, um, teachers were kind of in a in a panic and in a frenzy as to, you know, what to do and how to, to go about things. And so um, luckily in the STEM world, um, we were able to transition nicely into blending virtual learning and outdoor experiences for our kids of, you know, being able to still have access to our yards and access to, you know, going right outside and, and um, encouraging kids. to take hikes and be in the park and, you know, really kind of a push of um, some outdoor learning, which I feel like has now transitioned into this school year as well. And so we're seeing a real uptick in um, kids who are back in school. Luckily, um, in my district in New Jersey, we are um, part-time back in school. And so um, with that comes a, a very exciting kind of advance that we've all been working towards as far as incorporating more outdoor education to balance screen time. Um, And so that ability to kind of get outside and make sure that we're using our natural resources to their fullest is a way of kind of incorporating some environmental education and some uh, conservation mindset um, and really as a refuge to um, promote good mental health and decrease anxiety just by being outside and learning outdoors. Um, And now teachers are really looking for those opportunities for kids and are very willing to do it. So um, I'd say we've really kind of had taken advantage of, you know, kind of the situation that we're in and tried to make the best of it. So if that brings us outside, then that's a good thing.
0: Fresh air for everyone. So... Both of you are actively involved in conservation efforts, particularly in regards to educating your communities. Has this always been a passion of yours? I would
1: say so, you know, having the opportunity to attend Marist and see the beauty of just the Hudson Valley, being a part of, you know, all of each and every season. You know, and the opportunity to have such a beautiful campus so that you can be outside. And I love what Helen said about getting kids outside. I think that's really important. Um, my, my past, um, I came to Marist because my family lived in Hyde Park, but my parents lived overseas. My father was um, retired military and they were stationed in Italy at the time. So when I came to Marist, it was important for me to be with family and understand the heritage of the Hudson Valley because I did have family there. So that was really ideal for me. Um, And because I had such an affinity for the Hudson Valley spending summers here, it was just really a great opportunity for me to be at Marist. So I loved the campus and I loved how it evolves into this beautiful, stately, you know, beautiful thing on the hill. Um, So I think, yeah, and, you know, the, the opportunity to hike in the Adirondacks and go to the Vanderbilt Mansion and walk down to the Hudson river and go to the gunks and, you know, get to do all of that. I I, I really do. I think it really started at, you know, at the college.
2: April, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I just, you know, going to Marist, I grew up in a small town outside of Princeton, New Jersey, um, also beautiful. And I, um, while I was at Marist, I actually was a member of the crew team as well. And I originally joined to, you know, I knew I was coming in as an environmental science major with a a, um, concentration in public policy, Um, but I really wanted to, you know, make sure that I got my in and really um, enjoyed exercising and really what it turned out to be on the crew team was enjoying seeing phenomenal sunrises in the morning and the mist coming off the Hudson and the leaves changing in the fall and blooming into spring in the in the springtime season. And so crew really became not just an exercise and a sport for me, but it also, you know, was that contact with the beauty of the Hudson Valley and being there and it just further cemented my love and passion for natural spaces. So, um, Marist, you know, when when you start to flourish there as a young person and are surrounded by the beauty of both the campus and just the natural surroundings, I think it did so much for, you know, my passion for the environment and it really deeply ingrained all of the conservation
0: that I wanted to practice as an adult and it never really changed. Tom Sanford would love to coin your phrasing there and use it for crew recruiting. <laughs> Absolutely. I, ju- I wish that I had stuck
2: with the exercise part of it, but it was really the nature that that took me over. <laughs> you I
0: didn't to know how you... what time of the day that took place and how early in the morning, right, that that usually took place. Absolutely.
2: 4.15 a.m. <laughs> and every time that I would leave my... my uh, Dorm at Leo Hall, my mom would call and say, um, did you cross the train tracks to get to crew practice? And I'd say, no, well, I went all the way around under the tunnel. I didn't cross the train tracks, mom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. When I was living with a senior year in the townhouses and negotiating, you know, the 10 girls we were going to all live with, we had, I think, three on our on the crew team. And we fought over who would take what room because nobody wanted to hear them up at four o'clock in the morning. So it was definitely like a negotiating play. Oh, cause you're gonna get up early. So I'll take the basement car. <laughs> you know, It was hilarious. You just remember that.
0: Good times on the green team. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so April, we switch over to you. Uh, you've been with Keep America Beautiful for over 15 years. How did you start getting involved with them?
1: So it was an interesting path. I, um, I worked, many years ago, you know, um, when AOL was starting, I graduated in 93. That's no secret. You already gave it up. So, I Amy, mean, so that's no secret. But um, I was in PR and communications. I graduated with a communications degree, and I went to go work for IBM um, for an agency and launched the first ThinkPad. And um, it, was, it was phenomenal because, you know, at Marist College, I also worked in the computer center for work-study. Um, so it was really interesting to me to, to, to have that opportunity. After I left there, I worked for an agency in the city who did this really cool thing, which was called ThinkQuest. And it was an opportunity for kids to build educational websites and collaborate with other kids all over the world. It was amazing. And it was started by someone who worked at IBM. And that was a pro bono account. And I just loved the passion and the excitement that the kids had in that. And I wanted to support more nonprofit work and ultimately found an opportunity to work back up in our market from another technology standpoint. And then this opportunity at Keep America Beautiful came up for volunteer recruitment and engagement. And um, I remember this really impactful ad in the 70s of a crying Indian. And some of our generation will remember that, but others won't. And I saw this ad and I was like, that's, that's, wait, that's that organization. And I found out they were headquartered in Stanford and pursued an opportunity there. And it has kept me there for 15 years. I can't believe how fast it's gone. Um, And my primary role was to go to communities and tell them about becoming an affiliate of Keep America Beautiful and using our programs to engage volunteers and community members. And it's
0: been a wonderful ride. What are some of the projects that you're most proud of to have worked with?
1: So we have an annual event. It's called the Great American Cleanup and it typically goes between March um, and June or the first day of spring to the first day of summer. And our affiliates are doing activities all over the country. And because it's March to June, it allows somebody in South Dakota who might not be able to do a March event to do their event in July. And it's the largest community cleanup event um, in the country. So what, Why that is important to me is because it is so impactful and our impact and our outcomes and outputs from that event are amazing. The amount of um, recyclables we collect, trees that are planted, parks that are beautified. um, And this role at the national office allows me to tell that story on behalf of the network. Um, We had a great event um, a few years ago to engage young people and that turned into an employee engagement event. So we are constantly doing events like that. In fact, in a month's time, um, November 15th is our second biggest event. It's called America Recycles Day. And November 15th is a way for us to get the word out um, and for individuals to pledge to recycle. So those are two of the really fun
0: and impactful events that we do. Since you're speaking about them right now, in case someone listening just wants to know, how does someone find out more about those programs what is the website for the organization
1: great it's k a b for keep america beautiful.org so kab.org and helen just reminded me something about physical fitness we just held a virtual event called our trash dash and it is a plugging event so it's picking up litter while jogging um, and this was our second event uh, second annual event doing that so that was on um, september 20th and Communities all, of, all across America are still doing virtual plugging events or plugging events of their own to raise awareness and clean up at the same time.
0: Those seem fairly easy to do virtually, but, yeah, you can continue with them. So how do you see the organization growing and adapting in the coming year with everything going on? It's very interesting. You know, uh, we, as an
1: organization, tell the story of our affiliates, and um, many are nonprofits who are struggling in these times. Uh, Many are government uh, led and government supported who are also struggling in these times. Um, Our role really is to support the network in activities and um, in kind as best as we can. We have a fund called the Community Restoration and Resiliency Fund where our affiliates can apply for Lowe's gift cards to help them do the work in their communities. So we had an affiliate recently who had a trailer donated um, to them to lend out to other community members and it was broken into. And all of their tools were stolen. And they were allowed to use the resiliency fund to purchase new tools. So we know communities are struggling. We want to be supportive and help them in any ways that we can. So the way that we're going to adapt is really to continue to support their needs. Uh, let us tell your story so that we can Um, get more promotion
0: for other communities as well. That's amazing. So to flip it over, Helen, you've had some amazing opportunities to study out there in different parts of the world, Um, two Earth expedition trips. Would you like to tell us a little bit about those experiences?
2: sure um so this is a a great way to also um give maris a little bit of a shout out because of the field experience that um, maris provided um and you know it, it's really i waited for a little while to um go back to school to get my master's degree because i really wanted to make sure that i was i was doing the right thing for both for my career but also for you know for me as a conservationist And um, so as a teacher, I really look to um, figure out different ways to make kids into planetary stewards. Right? So at Marist, I really thought that I was going to go into environmental policy to um, work in Washington on Capitol Hill. And I found quickly that changing adults minds were not as easy to do as it was to inspire young kids and make them into really Passionate environmentalists. So um, I found that my knack of um, kind of Converting children um, was was stronger and less frustrating than um, working with adults, so I chose that kind of path for me. Um, but then, as I as I developed, and you know, as a teacher, I kind of felt that I needed a little bit more, so um, I pursued a, a master's degree from uh, Miami University, ironically sa- the same Red M that Marist was. So I felt like it was just a little continuing. Into um, from Marist to Miami um, in Oxford, Ohio, and so they have a, a fabulous program called Project Dragonfly, and those um, and and it it promotes international field experiences. So I was able to go um, to Baja, Mexico, and to um, the Malaysian side of Borneo. And um in those two experiences, again, it just echoed what Marist had set me up for um is to to be in um to be with people in other cultures to gain a deeper look at global citizenship and the way other cultures are reflecting sustainability and just some really amazing ideas. Um that we can learn from other countries. So being American um, sometimes kind of, um, you know, isolates you from the ideas of other parts of the world. And so going to um, conservation hotspots, Um, like Baja and swimming with whale sharks, you know, makes you feel um, like a very small person in the world. Right? So we are such a small speck of what our globe contains that when you're swimming next to a 30 foot long shark um, in total silence. Um, which is very unusual for when you're doing that. That's part of the that's part of the experience that you get that just puts you in awe, right? Or you're going through a super pot of dolphins and you literally have hundreds of thousands of dolphins jumping beside you, and you just can't even imagine the smallness that you are. And so um you know, the the following summer I was able to go to to Borneo and study orangutans in the wild. And again, I was with some really truly amazing female scientists. That um, my passion for women in STEM just kicked right up and was on fire there because of the women that were making uh, making a change and making a difference in creating wildlife. Um, carters and so looking at the palm oil industry and looking at the destruction that it's causing for our for our world and for um, such beautiful creatures like orangutans, um, you know, some of the things that I take back to my students is, um, you know, how difficult. Um, fields work actually is, and, and we think of it as like, oh, it's gonna be so amazing being in the middle of a rainforest and looking up and seeing orangutans above you. All of that is true, but what's left out is the ache in your neck after eight and a half hours of looking up the strain in your eyes of trying to figure out how to use binoculars properly in order to see them, the cramp in your hands that you get from writing so much data down. And all of these things are things that we glorify in our in our mind that are really, really hard work. And so being out in, um, in a project called Regrow Borneo, which is um, a reforestation of Um, secondary rainforests, I was surrounded by a group of um, these phenomenal matriarchs of the Malaysian Society of women that are, you know, out in, um, in rainforest areas that are using machetes and massive power tools like a weed whacker on steroids and so they're going through and cutting through all of the weeds in order to be able to replant saplings that they themselves have grown in their homes and Just the the power that um, women who are 65 who are just going at it all day long with machetes and and power tools and here I am at 42 feeling like I'm pretty good. I've got a lot of pep in my step. I lasted about 45 minutes with 1 of those power tools in my hands. So, um, you know, the passion that it takes to be a conservationist. Um, It is blood, sweat and tears. And if we can give that back to our children and show them that it's worth it and that there are possibilities around every corner and that everybody can be a help in preserving and sustaining our our globe and our our future um you know that's really what that's what it's all about so whether you do that with tales of lands far far away or you're doing it and keeping america beautiful as april is talking about what a what a phenomenal way to inspire our next generation
1: I love that for a minute I, I, if I can just say I wanted to close, i Wanted to just close my eyes. I can imagine just the way you described it. Just sound sounded so amazing. Um, and uh, you know, we actually just uh, certified um, our first African country, Ghana. Keep Ghana beautiful. This summer, we had um, an individual who came to this country. It was his passion. He he emailed me in 2016, and then made it work for himself this last year of all years for him to come to this country. He came in June of last summer and was stuck, you know, not able to get home for a while. But all that to say, he created Keep Gone and Beautiful and went back to Africa with uh, a Keep America Beautiful affiliate. So, you know, the conservation that you talk about, Helen, is is our hope too, as we expand internationally. Um, we do have some Canadian um, affiliates as well as some uh, island affiliates, but, uh, you know, what you're saying, it, 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 conservation and improvement, really is 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 where we need to be.
2: And that's such a tribute to your work, to April, that you would have somebody go back to Ghana and say, "This is this is what I want to mirror." You know, my my work after. I mean, bravo to you. It just it's we need to make as many possible connections as we can, and we need to unite as many people. And so I. I thank Marist for bringing the two of us together as well, to be able to connect and, and work together in the future, hopefully as well.
0: Actually, you bring up Marist, uh, for any of the students who are listening, right? Or the uh, young alums who just left Marist, how, how can you comment on how your experiences at Marist helped to get you where you are now, or helped you achieve the experiences that you've achieved?
1: I, I'll, I'd i be happy to. I mean, I. Uh went to Marist, you know, in 1989. Um, I had spent so many summers at my grandparents who lived there since the 70s and drove by that campus every summer or every other summer and the beauty of it. And so when I applied and was accepted to go to the college, that, of course, just elated everybody in the family. Um, but the opportunity, you know, to to have that experience. There were many international students that I met at the time at Marist as well. Um, It was a a small enough, but big enough school where I felt a a family connection um, and a place where I could really grow. I thought that the professors and particularly the staff at Marist were always encouraging. And even when there there were times that I might've been homesick for my parents, Um, From everybody from my RDS to I am sure that that is complete. And still remains the culture of Marist. Um, And the reason that drew me to the campus. Was that wasn't even the reason I, I had no idea and I have made so many wonderful friends and. Consider so many of my Marist alum friends as family. I have my best friend you know, of 30 years, I can't believe how much we've grown as adults, as parents, as professionals, and to have that and, and, and come out, you know, where we are today in the middle of this pandemic probably prepared me at Marist for this day. And I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to make a new acquaintance in Helen as well.
2: So I've always loved Marist um, from the very beginning. Um, of being there and joining the band and being on the crew team. Um, I met my husband at Marist and um, actually my youngest sister. I'm um, the oldest of four girls. My youngest sister um, also went to Marist and she got dragged around to all of the college campus visits that we did as all all of our sisters, you know, looked at, at colleges, too. And she said, oh, no, Marist is for me. So, It's getting me choked up here thinking about it because I love it so much. And, you know, it just it brings you back. I had Dr Feldman um, in my environmental science um, classes and I just remember, like, sitting in the front row. Of course, you know, I was gonna be a teacher. So I was always in the front row of my classes and just I just remember raising my hand, like, so much and being so on fire for his environmental science speeches that he actually, like, had to pull me aside one day. He's like, so there are other students in the class who, you know, I love your passion, but we just need to make sure that everybody is, you know, has the ability to answer questions. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I was so happy to see his recent book on biodiversity and climate change. Um, Just amazing contributions, Dr. Gagnon. My son is a freshman in in high school and um, I was just relating, you know, a couple of tales. He's taking biology and I was thinking about being in her class um, and the passion she had Um, you know, to kind of always provide that outdoor field work and um, get people outside and I use it on my students all the time. I say to them, listen, you don't want to be in the classroom. You know, if you're bored being in the classroom, be a science major and you can just go outside and tromp around in nature and wave to everybody who is in the classroom as they're learning, but you're learning too, but get to take all kinds of cool tools and, you know, look at tree cores and examples like this is the way to go science is for you you really need to do science so um, so Marist really fed that passion in me and and um, set me up for a wonderful career and just a, a fabulous background in in environmentalism and conservation so I always attribute it right back to uh, to the red foxes.
1: I love that I, you know, you're I, I am happy with my career choices and my my communications major at Marist, but you're getting me excited. I'm like, what, what have I done with my life? I should go back to school. Um, um, you well, have... was, my husband was also a communications major,
2: so I know where that passion comes from, you know, <laughs> communications and environmental science is a great mix.
1: It's a great mix. You're right. You know, when you <laughs> talked about a couple of, you know, your professors. I. I still remain close with one of my professors, and it was an elective I taught, an elective I attended because I thought it would be interesting. He taught um, uh, with another professor at Marist at the time who's now passed away, but they taught the Vietnam veterans experience. Um, and the book is called The Things They Carried. And it was an elective, and my father was a vet, and he didn't really particularly like to talk about his experience in Vietnam. So to have this great opportunity to have these two men who were amazing um, as an elective changed my life. We're, we still remain friends. He's out in California right now. His name was Dan Okada and he's in California. I, I love him. I, I just adore him and um, had I not had that opportunity, yeah, I get goosebumps. I, my life might have been different. That is so true. The passion of the professors at Marist, really impactful. Now I'm getting choked up.
0: I love hearing the names, you know, I've been there for so long now, Um, the names of some of these professors. Yes, that you hear over and over. Some are former brothers um, that made such an impact on alums when they were students. So going back to our students and alums, if they haven't, you know, they're looking to get into Environmental cons- conservation, whether it's as a professional career or just right volunteering outside of their day to day job, how would they go about finding you know, a good organization or someone who might need their help um, where they might live?
2: So I, I, think that one of a, a great way to kind of get involved within conservation is to look for a community conservation group. I serve on my, um, my local community conservation board um, called friends of Popo Valley open space. And I think, you know, a, a fantastic way to do that is to, um, you know, just get involved on a local level and, you know, even, even in reaching out to schools. Um, or, you know, kind of looking for some place that is your passion. If your pl- passion is reducing plastic waste and getting plastic out of the oceans, you know, find some place to, you know, put some of your time, your talent, your treasure um, into, you know, an area where you really feel like you want to help. Um, and, and I think help can come in many, many different ways. And um, I just ran a a media campaign for the Belize zoo. Um, They had to close their doors. Um, The country closed their doors um, to, um, to visitors and shut all their airports and whatnot. And um, I, you know, in my college, in my graduate school classes, we set up a fundraiser for them. And my daughter did a huge bake sale and people were moved by the fact that she was baking for Belize Zoo and, and we're happy to contribute. And, um, you know, and, and in, other, in other areas, you know, we've organized beach cleanups and, um, you know, kind of um, um, championed and cheered for um, reducing plastic waste in our school district. Um, And and getting them to switch off of um, single use plastics. And so it's, there's so many opportunities for people. And I would just say to, um, you know, to really look locally and then also follow your passion and um, connect up with, with groups like April's and she's gonna talk about the good nonprofit sector, I'm sure, um, but connect up with, you know, you know with groups that you stand by and, and that you really in the areas that you wanna make a difference. Cause there's so much we have to work on that even just, you know, taking one little area is gonna help to, to improve and fight the fight.
1: I love what Helen said. And, and that's so true, you know, Oftentimes, you see the big picture, and you just want to help on that, that major level, which is amazing and certainly important. But on the community level, there are tons of resources for where you can get involved and, um, and, and do some impactful things in your backyard, you know, so to speak. Um, with Keep America Beautiful, we have 600 affiliates all over the country. We have affiliates as small as a community in Utopia, Texas to communities as large as communities, as large as New York City, Los Angeles, who are doing amazing things. They are beautifying, greening, picking up litter there in their communities. So if you live anywhere in the country and you want to do a search up, you can go to our website. Um, it's volunteer.kab.org. You can go to kab.org. Um, But certainly, you know, start small. Um, We're based in Connecticut. Our national headquarters is based in Connecticut, but our work is supporting our affiliate network. And I would encourage everyone who is listening to
0: support local in that, in that way. Thank you. So before we wrap up for today, was there anything else you'd like to add? We're good. And if anyone listening wants more information from either Helen or April, they can also just contact the alumni office and we'll be happy to share uh, their information with you. Go ahead, Helen.
2: Um, Amy and Amanda, thank you so much for um, for kind of gathering this and putting this together. I think people that make a difference are, you know, it's, it's just so wonderful to be highlighted in this way because, you know, however, we can give back is, is a really amazing. Um, opportunity and chance um, both to thank Marist and um, to just say what a a great setup that Marist provided and and how much um, I think April and I both feel that um, Marist has given us in our lives um, that this is just another opportunity to kind of get the word out and spread some conservation. cheerleading because we all know that our earth needs it as much as as any other entity right now, boy oh boy, so anything that we can do to inspire change and help um, environmentalism and conservation as a movement um, is just so, uh, I'm just again so grateful to Marist for this opportunity um, in
1: order to to make the world a better place. I would just echo what Helen said, I mean Obviously, we all started somewhere, and, you know, that was the driver in in where we are and who we are today. Um, The support that Marist offers uh, alum, even still between, you know, LinkedIn opportunities or opportunities like this. um, As someone who runs our educational uh, program, our educational and training program, I've connected with other Marist alum and had had them host um, webinars for me. So this network that, that brought us together on that little portion of the Hudson River is really you know, just, just so amazing. And I can't say enough things about that. So I am more than willing to help to support anyone who wants to get involved with something as small as a litter cleanup, or if you're so bold to do a plug, um, certainly reach out to me. I, I would love to, to connect and see if there are ways that I can help you get to your passion
0: perfect note to end on. Thank you. Thank you to both of you for taking time out of your day to speak with us. For those listening, we hope you'll join us again next week as we continue our series of Alumni Making an Impact. Please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can keep in touch and know every time we post a new episode of Marist Connections. We'll continue to bring you conversations with alumni as well as students, faculty, staff, coaches, and others essential to the Marist community. If you have suggestions for future podcast themes or guests, please email them to maristalumni at marist.edu and be sure to check out Marist Alumni on Facebook and official Marist Alumni on Instagram. Thanks and have a great day everyone.